The Eagle and Child, Episode 35. Mere Christianity, Book 4, Chapter 6. Two Notes. Hello, and welcome to The Eagle and Child, the hallowed pub of the Inklings. This is a podcast where each week, my friend Matt and I share a beer and discuss the writings of the author known to the world as Clive Staples Lewis, or C.S. Lewis, or just as Jack to his friends. My name is David, and live from Michigan, I'm joined by my friend Matt. I'm looking forward to another recording session. The podcast continues to be gaining momentum, and I'm finding it getting even more fun. I don't know about you. Yeah, mostly. (laughs) Yeah, we're starting to get in our groove, and we only have five more chapters to go, by the way. We are halfway through book four at the moment. (laughs) The last chapter, by the way, I was looking, is titled The New Men. That's a pretty cool title. I mean, think of this. You're building this entire, there's probably 40, 40 plus chapters, and the last one leaves you titled New Men. Well, that will be the litmus test at the end of it, because we'll have been doing this for over a year, and so we'll have to answer that question, are we now new men? If we're not, we're closing up shop. Like, we're just done. <laughs> Fair enough. But anyways, how was it interviewing Justin last week? I actually listened to the interview today as a typical subscriber. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. I've known Justin purely online for quite some time. So it was great to finally talk to him and hear his story from himself, his journey of faith and the role that Lewis had to play in that. I was a little jealous as I'm listening. One, I felt intimidated that I was going to be getting kicked out here because between your British accent and his Southern accent, I'm like, this guy brings a lot more to the table than I do. Mm-hmm. It's true. I mean, no. I mean, no, Matt, you're special. Oh, what we need to start doing is getting an audience in the UK. So then my accent is awesome and yours sucks. It doesn't work like that, I'm afraid. I don't know. When I was there for the year, they loved me. <laughs> I think we would need some objective witnesses to confirm that. (laughs) Actually, the person that I'll be rooming with in New York was at Oxford. That's where I met him. So he is an objective witness. All right. We'll see. I will will bring him on our next episode when next week I will be live from New York. Okay. All right. (laughs) All right. We should probably jump into the quote now. Yes. This chapter, seen as it was more almost a mailbag episode for Lewis, frankly, Mm Mm-hmm. I thought, you know what, let's, let's not bring a Lewis quote in here. Let's actually bring a quote from Scripture. We're going to switch this up, and this is going to apply greatly to what we talk about today. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. St. Paul says, Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. I like that. There's many parts, but one body in Christ. We're going to talk about that in the second half of today's podcast. And I'm afraid neither of us are drinking anything particularly exciting today. I am on tea because I've actually just got off work and I didn't have time to assemble a decent whiskey. And Matt is also, well, he's even more boring than I am at the moment. He's drinking some water. (laughs) But when you say it that way, though, it doesn't sound so boring. Water. It sounds classier. It still sounds kind of boring. It does. Well, cheers. Cheers. Plink. <laughs> <laughs> you said we weren't going to do that. I know. I had Although a you're now starting a thing, so this might be the thing. <laughs> I had a friend point that out. In response to the contents of the previous chapters, which he read on the radio, Lewis received feedback. And in this chapter, he responds to two issues that were raised. 
The first one I actually found really interesting. I wrestled with this in my head quite a bit. Lewis said that someone asked him, if God wanted sons instead of toy soldiers, why did he not beget many sons at the outset instead of first making toy soldiers and then bringing them to life by such a difficult and painful process? That's a very fair question. When I first heard it, I'm like, that's a clever one. I don't know. I had never even considered that before I read this. Yeah. And why didn't, yeah, why didn't he just make us what the end goal was right from the beginning? The second point isn't put into the form of a question, but it relates to Lewis's comments describing the human race as one huge organism, like a tree. So let's start with the first one. Why not just make sons? Why go through the painful, difficult process of bringing toy soldiers to life at all? Why not just make sons in the first place? And Lewis first addresses the issue of the process being difficult, taking humans and raising them up into the Godhead, taking toy soldiers and making them real men. He points out that it might not have been so difficult if humanity hadn't first turned away from God, which is something that they could do because he gave them free will, because free will is what's necessary for creatures to love. Isn't it funny how everything seems to come back to free will? Quite often. Yeah. But even when we're talking about God taking toy soldiers and turning them into sons, why couldn't God have created them as sons in the first place? And Lewis first responds to this by saying, have the words could have been any sense when applied to God? Because he argues that it makes no sense to talk like that because God isn't a contingent being. He isn't dependent upon other things. In our day-to-day world, we talk about something possibly being different. And what that really means is something else would cause something else to cause something else, and the situation results in something different from what we currently have. We can't have that with God. He said, when you are talking about God, i.e. the rock-bottom, irreducible fact on which all other facts depend, it's nonsensical to ask if it could have been otherwise. It is what it is, and there is an end to the matter. When I first read that, that was frustrating. It, it makes sense. But it's not particularly satisfying, which is good that Lewis then goes on and offers another objection. And I thought this one was particularly clever. Think of the idea for a second, this father begetting many sons from all eternity. It's a pretty difficult idea to grasp. He, he said, in order to be many, they would have to be somehow different from one another. So to do this, he uses this example. He brings in two pennies. They're exactly the same, same shape, same markings. How are they two, he asks. Well, by occupying different places and containing different atoms, so both in a spatial and a material perspective. The problem is God is immaterial and outside of space, and he's before time. So we can still imagine the father and the son because one begets the other. That's how you can distinguish the two from each other. One begets, the other is begotten. Exactly. But think about this. Imagine a scenario where the father begat many sons. Well, now you have this issue where they all have to be different, but yet they're all in the same relationship to the father and to each other. So are they really actually different? Lewis actually even says that every now and again, he feels like he could imagine that happening, the possibility of multiple sons. But then, after further thought, he always realized that he was either sneaking in time, space, or matter. And as we've said, God is before all of those things. And that's key, because even as I was reading this, and even as I'm saying it, 
I'm still somewhat in my head just imagining lots of sons, lots of Jesus Christ. It's easy to do that. But Lewis, at the end of that section, he offers a suggestion. He doesn't push it, but I think it's brilliant. Lewis offers a suggestion that this necessity to sneak in time, space, and matter might be the very reason that nature was created in order to make manyness possible. By that, he means to make creatures like ourselves and then raise them up to the level of divine sonship. Nature was created for that very purpose. I'm going to be frank here. I'm curious your thoughts. As I was reading this today, I was like, man, this, my head hurts. (laughs) This is hard to wrap your head around. Yeah. Genuinely. Mm -hmm. Even rereading it, rereading it. It's not easy to wrap your head around. But we're talking about the life of the Trinity, the transcendent, the ineffable, inconceivable, incomprehensible, as our liturgy describes it. It's not going to be simple. (laughs) That's so true. And that brings up a good point. I was listening to a sermon or a talk. I can't remember. But the individual had stated, do you really want a God you can understand? Think about that for a second. Do you want to be able to understand him like I understand you? I mean, that doesn't sound that awesome to have that guy creating the universe. It doesn't sound like God. No, it doesn't at all. If I could fully understand him, I don't think he could be God. Transitioning to Lewis's second point, he discusses the concept of humanity as one huge organism. And he states there's two things you absolutely cannot believe. The first is individual differences do not matter. You can't say that. And second, you can't say individuals are less important than collective groups such as classes and races. He points out that things which are parts of a single organism may be very different from one another. Things which are not may be very alike. This was clever. Yeah, he then goes back to his pennies. And he says, okay, let's pretend I have six pennies. They all look very alike. And now compare them to the organs in a body, which are very different, but they share in a common life. That was such a good analogy. Well, he's stealing from St. Paul. St. Paul wrote a lot about the body of Christ. Though we are many, we are one, and we're all different. We've each received different gifts. We have a different function. And just because I have a different function to you, that doesn't make you more or less important. And actually, I would say, understanding St. Paul's idea here, the idea that we are in Christ, that we are part of his body, is central to understanding Paul himself and all of his theology. And I would say that it all began in his life when he fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He didn't say, why are you persecuting my disciples? He didn't say, why are you persecuting the church? He said, why are you persecuting me? Yeah, I think of Matthew 25, what you do for the least of these, you do for me. And the disciple says, but what did we, when did we ever do that for you? Feed you, clothe you, visit you in prison. Exactly. And this is really important for understanding Because Lewis warns us against two different tendencies that can happen. The first is that we want to become totalitarian. This idea of making everyone like ourselves. Well, the problem is God probably never meant for them to be like that. I don't know. I think the world would be far better if everyone was like me. Be a far more sensible world. I know. I think that from (laughs) time to time too. Except like me. But isn't that amazing? That's The reason I think that's such an important point is because... We do tend to think that 
we think they should think like us, they should act like us, they should be like us, and that's dangerous. And Lewis says God probably never meant them to be like that. No. And so we have to cherish that. We have to celebrate other people's differences. And the second dangerous tendency is to become an individualist. So on the opposite spectrum, see others as wholly different from ourselves and therefore ignore their troubles as it's no business of ours. Well, we're all one organism. When we see someone struggling, someone suffering, we should treat it as our business also. They're part of the same living organism as ourselves. If one part of the body hurts, the whole body hurts. That's exactly right. Man, as I say this, I don't do either of those well. I honestly do both of them extremely well in the wrong way. I think everyone <laughs> should be like me, and I'm very much an individualist. Well, Lewis concludes this chapter by saying that he's pretty sure that everybody wants to tell him which of these two extremes is the worst. And he says, actually, I even have that desire myself. But he says that this is the devil getting at us. He wants us to fall into one extreme or the other, whereas we need to plot a middle course. And throughout the Screwtape Letters, which is his book where a senior demon corresponds with a junior demon, this idea comes up again and again. They actually don't care which extreme the humans fall into, just as long as they go to one of those extremes. So how would you summarize this entire chapter in two sentences? What did we learn? What did we learn? That God probably brought nature into being in order to draw new creatures up into the Godhead. And point number two, humanity is one giant organism made up of many parts. Each of those parts is different and important. Beautiful. Now you see why I chose a Paul quote? <laughs> I got half of it. <laughs> bravo, David, bravo. Thank you. Well, now we got to do your review. We're not done yet. Nope, nope. Uh, today I'm reviewing Clumsy Theosis. Cool title. I thought Eagle Child was good. <laughs> I do love the title of this podcast. Here's what I wrote. Rochelle is my friend, and I mock pretty much everything she does. However, I always look forward to listening to her podcast each week. Theosis is the term used in Eastern Christianity to describe the process by which we are made sons of God and drawn into the life of God. The podcast is called Clumsy Theosis because our participation in this process is often imperfect and faltering. Each week, Rochelle speaks about some aspect of Christianity and how it relates to this journey into the life of the Trinity. She communicates all this in her own quirky, inimitable style. Most people reading this review aren't able to hang out with Rochelle in person after church to hear her riff on theology over coffee each Sunday. But subscribing to this podcast is probably the next best thing. Jeez, I'm going to be honest. I want to listen to her podcast more than ours. <laughs> but she talks about the very thing that we've been talking about these past few chapters, about being drawn into the life of God, becoming sons of God. The technical theological term for that is theosis. I, one of my fears through these last few chapters is it's so heady that people are going to miss the bigger picture, that this point that you just summarized right there so briefly is so critical to the Christian life. It's simply put of participating in this divine life. I mean, that is what it's all about. Yep, Christianity offers nothing else. And ends, guess where this whole book ends? New men. Please feel free to contact us through restlesspilgrim.net and on Twitter and Instagram at Pines with Jack. And we have the winner of last week's competition. 
If you recall, this was to win a copy of Justin Wiggins's Surprise by Agape. And my bad, I wasn't quite specific enough in the instructions. So we actually have two winners. We have Yuri van Hoof. I apologize for absolutely butchering that name, from the Netherlands. And also Christine Novell from Oklahoma. So until next time, further up. And further in. Cheers. Cheers. Curling. <laughs>